Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, sir. The voice of the intro, Bonnie D. Graham here in the house. Have we got a topic for you? There's so much buzz on LinkedIn this week and other social platforms about this topic because it's timely, it's relevant. I have to do a quick shout out to Judy Kubis at SAP and Thomas Pohl behind the scenes for picking this topic and getting us together. I don't usually do this at the start, but the topic today is the battery makers are coming, how automotive electrification is driving their rise. Now, if that doesn't apply to everybody, I don't know. You're either going to have a car that needs a battery or you're going to read about it. You're going to have somebody in your neighborhood, in your community who does. So let me get started with our usual, the buzz quotes. And I have two. Uh, These are both from a a website called theconversation.com. Let me read the first one. Gigafactories. Yes, I said that. It's gigafactories for electric cars. Could one day be churning out millions of electric vehicle batteries in the UK. The government has already committed the country to a ban, listen to this, a ban on selling new petrol, that's gas here in the U.S., petrol and diesel engine cars by 2030. Everyone do the math. It's 2021 mid-year, so that's not far off. So it seems that electric vehicles or EVs are likely to replace much of today's fleet. Okay, everybody embrace that one. Here's quote number two. Most EVs today use lithium ion batteries, but these have a number of limitations. Luckily, there are scientists and engineers who are exploring a number of ways to overcome these challenges that could help give the drive to convert cars to electricity a boost. Boost is a good word when we're talking about batteries. So let me give you a little background here. For electric vehicles to become truly mass market, they will need high energy efficient and safe batteries, period, end of story. But I have more. Good news. Several companies are designing and supplying electric vehicles, OEMs and other manufacturers and industries with such power sources. However, we all have been reading there are limitations with the limited availability of some raw materials slowing the growth of EV adoption. Battery makers are having to innovate and collaborate to support new new business models such as battery swaps, speeding up charging times, increasing the range of EVs. Yes, it's not how much gas in the tank, it's how many miles and hours do I have left on my battery, right? And they're developing smart battery services, aha, to help diagnose battery failures faster and resolve issues earlier and sooner to gain customer trust and loyalty and reduce warranty costs. So we have three experts on the topic. I'm so excited to have them here. We have Marcus Boleman at MHP Americas, a Porsche company. Wave Marcus, there he is. For those of you who eventually will see the video, we are recording, but we're live on Voice America business channel audio today. We have Bernard Swicky. He spells his last name S-W-I-E-C-K-I at Car Group. He'll tell us all about that in a minute. And we have Makund Rayo, Makund Wave at SAP. And we're going to ask them for their insights on the design, 
the manufacture and the sale of batteries, and the battery makers' opportunities and challenges. Our topic today, again, the battery makers are coming. I think there was a movie about that, how automotive electrification is driving their rise. So welcome, 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 Bonnie in the house. Again, shout out to Judy Cubis, who is here in the background on her iPhone. Welcome back from, I understand, a week of great vacation, Judy. We're happy to have you here, and thank you for putting together this panel. Marcus, you're up first. We would love to have you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do at your company. And more important, what's your passion for the topic? Marcus, welcome. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. Um, so my name is Marcus Bowman, and I'm a problem solver and identifier. I'm more officially a uh, senior account executive and partner manager with MHP Americas, um, which is a Porsche company. Um, and it's a leading global management and IT consulting firm. Um, my focus is on the Americas region, which goes from north to south, and my main goal is to help clients solve their problems. And this is across various industries um, involving strategy, management, and uh, digitalization. Um, in my past career, I've done a lot of uh, work in engineering, started off on the shop floor, and uh, worked my way around in sales, operations, HR, um, and now in numerous consulting roles. And my passion and why I'm so passionate about this topic is I am a gearhead. I am a, a car person. Um, I love motorsport. Um, I love tinkering on them. And so to me, it's always been about what is the energy behind the vehicle? And that can be in multiple forms. And the form of now and tomorrow is electric. And that is the EV vehicle. So that's my passion behind it, and I'm looking forward to sharing my uh, views and discussing with the rest of the group here um, for this very exciting topic. Thank you very much, Marcus. You and I met behind the scenes when somebody else from your organization was on one of these shows a while ago, so I'm very happy to finally put you on camera. Let's go to our second guest, another newcomer, Bernard Swicky at Car Group. Bernard, very happy to have you here, and I'd like you when you give your bio to tell us what is Car Group, what does it stand for? Nice acronym, by the way. Welcome, Bernard. Thanks very much, Bonnie. Yeah, you know, we tried getting an acronym to pick up truck, but we thought that was a little, <laughs> I got to be a little bit lengthy. Uh, no, really appreciate the chance to speak with you today. I'm Bernard Swicky. I serve as the Director of Research at the Center for Automotive Research, um, or CAR. And CAR is a nonprofit based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. At one time, we were a part of the University of Michigan, but we're now a fully independent 501c3. Uh, that does a lot of research and also events on the automotive industry. Uh, I will say much of the work that we do does end up published as reports that you can just grab for free on our website. Um, and as part of our nonprofit role is to serve both as a communicator of industry information and intelligence uh, and as kind of a generator of new knowledge. And my role really has grown over the years. I started as an intern uh, and in 1994, believe it or not, and I've sort of stayed through different roles at, at CAR right up uh, to Director of Research. Uh, and of course, this subject of not just the vehicle battery, uh, but all of the implications of, you know, what is it about the vehicle market uh, that's going to determine how and where we get our batteries, what their function, their range, their parameters are going to be, uh, how accepting our consumers going to be of these technologies, is the infrastructure there? All of those issues we have done a ton of work about, uh, and much of that is shared, uh, again, just for free as part of our nonprofit role. Uh, as Marcus uh, mentioned, I think this is true for both of us. 
in addition to, to the research role, uh, I'm also a big automotive enthusiast. Uh, you know, I, I grew up working in my parents' uh, car repair shop, you know, so I've, I've kind of been there all along. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, a little bit of the, the conflict here because I think it also plays out in the marketplace. Uh, I've driven a number of electric cars and I love them. I love the different feel, uh, the acceleration, the torque, the quietness, the packaging that they give you as part of that electric vehicle option. You know, but at the same time, I did just buy, um, you know, a, an internal combustion powered convertible with a manual transmission, right? And, and I love, you know, that, that old fashioned uh, feel of that engagement with the mechanical aspects of the vehicle. Uh, and I think, you know, that that's just a little bit of an indicator of what we have to overcome in the market uh, for these vehicles to become truly mainstream. Bernard, thank you and welcome. I'm laughing because I was thinking that's a throwback car, right? Those of <laughs> us who drive gas engines, you with the state. I drive sports cars, but they have to be automatic. You know, you can't be working the shift when you're putting your lipstick on. No, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. I'm a car person too, a car girl, and as Marcus knows. Let's move to our third panelist, Mook and Rayo at SAP. We're so happy to have you here. We're looking forward to your sharing your bio and your background. Tell us a story if you want. Mook and I'm putting you on speaker view. Go ahead and welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. So first of all, I'd like to take thank for this opportunity to you know talk to the esteemed radio audience. So my name is Mukund Rao, and I am part of the automotive business unit in SAP. So I have been part of the automotive ecosystem now for 25 years. I started about 25 years back at Ford Motor Company, and then I did worked for a couple of years at a tier one supplier. And since then, since SAP started an automotive practice in Detroit in 97, I'm also going to date myself here. So I have been part of the automotive business unit since 1997. So over the years, I have been fortunate enough to work with most of the bigger OEMs and tier one suppliers globally, whether they be you know, car manufacturers or RV manufacturer, motorcycles, buses, and lately, I have been working with a lot of new incumbents, all the EV manufacturers. So my role in the past, you know, has been, you know, working in the traditional manufacturing and supply chain areas of software, you know, bring the new software into market and help our customers work on their enterprise software strategy. You know, I like to still think that I started in the automotive at 10 years old. I still think I'm just 35 <laughs> so that you know, I, I get very enthused of all the new stuff which is happening, you know, like a kid in a candy store, all the new battery makers and, you know, new things coming autonomous. So it's, 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 it gets my, you know, juice going. So very, very enthusiastic about all the new, especially like, like I mentioned, out and out automotive guy, that's the only industry I've worked all my life. Yeah. So fully automotive guy, gearhead, whatever you might classify I'm there. So currently, since last two, three years, my role has shifted a little bit because of all the new changes coming in the ecosystem, automotive ecosystem. I am now the mobility strategy lead in the automotive business unit. What that exactly means is whatever new things that you see, whether it is related to batteries or whether it is related to the bigger electrification uh, story or fleet management, the new way of selling. So these are all new 
new trends which are coming to the market. You see even the bigger OEMs, they're changing their mission statements, no longer car manufacturers, but mobility providers. So now my goal is I'm working on these new technologies and bringing this so that our clients can be, you know, help along their journey to becoming a mobility company. Look, and thank you. Very, thank you. Very interesting point you just made. If, if everybody, anybody's seeing the video, this show used to be the future of cars with game changers. And Judy Cubis changed it to the future of mobility and manufacturing because two groups are sponsoring the show. But mobility became the word rather than cars. And your point is very well taken. Uh, I want to tell all of you, and I recently spoke with an attorney on, on one of my other shows. I do a show for uh, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association, OESA, and they had a real estate attorney who works on the placement <coughs> of charging stations. Where do they go? What is the ADA access? Are they in a shopping center? Are they near a big box retailer? What are the expectations? What about the crowd? Who's waiting? How long will it be? What is the environment? environmental impact, the footprint, what is the impact on the power grid? So this is a huge topic. That's a hint to Judy. We might do something on that as well. So thank you all for being here. I'm, th I'm very excited that you're all car people. I didn't say car guys, gearheads. Uh, that's a term that's new to me. Maybe I'm a gear gal. I don't know. <laughs> don't go under the hood, but I love to drive them. So let's move on. This is the part of the show, too much fun, part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a movie or a TV character or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with automotive, with cars, with batteries, with EV, with wherever we're taking this topic, the battery makers are coming. Marcus Boleman has sent us a quote from, and this is often thought to be from Ricky Bobby, played by Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. It was stated by the wonderful actor who is everywhere today, Gary Cole, who plays Reese Bobby, Ricky Bobby, also two first names, Ricky Bobby's father. Uh, apparently in the story, Ricky's father, Reese, abandoned him when he was young, but he showed up at key moments in Ricky's childhood to tell him, here's the quote, if you ain't first, you're last. That's not the way Gary Cole talks at all, nor how I speak. Marcus, rescue me. How does this quote apply to our topic, please? Well, in, in, in the battery world, the EV world, it's, it's really driven by a lot of innovation, right? And so right now um, in, in this sector, there's a lot of startups uh, coming about and, and that are really driving together with OEMs, partnering with them. So it, it's a race. It's, it's basically a race. And so if you're not pushing to be the first, you're behind the eight ball. Um, so that's where that quote comes from and how it, I mean, how it applies to here is it's a big race going on. And if you ain't first, you're last. So um, everybody's pushing. Very well put. I think we're going to use that quote in a lot, a lot of applications going forward. Thank you. Let's go to Bernard Swicky. Bernard has sent a quote from Bachman Turner Overdrive, fondly known as BTO. The album is King Biscuit Flower Hour presents by. Did you know that, Bernard? Presents, no, I did not. I do. I dig. I dig on these. Uh, he, King Biscuit Flower Hour Power presents Bachman Turner Overdrive 1974. You all been saying that look at how many years you've been in the industry. You've been giving me dates in the 90s. Well, this song goes back to 74. And this was BTO, a Canadian rock band from Winnipeg, Manitoba, founded by Randy Bachman, Robbie Bachman, and Fred Turner. And their 1970s catalog included five top 40 albums, six US top 40 singles, 11 in Canada, blah, blah, blah. Lots of the band has sold nearly 30 million albums worldwide. Here we go and has fans affectionately known as gearheads. 
derived from the band's gear-shaped logo. I had to mention that because we've been talking about, here's, I, I really want to sing this, Bernard. I don't know. You ain't seen nothing yet. Hey, 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 baby. I'm sorry. I, Judy's going to kill me for this. Bernard, rescue me. How'd you pick this quote? Go ahead. <laughs> Bonnie, now I'm going to be singing that song the rest of the day. I, I <laughs> promise you that. Um, no, I chose it because, you know, the more we look at uh, the pace of electrification and uh, the various directions that it's taking, uh, I think it's becoming clear to me that we're at a key point now where, you know, we started selling hybrids, I believe, in 1999 in the United States. And yet, we are at a point of acceleration right now, unlike anything that we had seen before and also unlike anything we'd anticipated. Uh, you know, so for hybrids, plug-in hybrids, full battery electric vehicles, all of those just this year compared to last year are up over 100%. And, you know, this is happening, I think, at a time when consumers are more willing to accept these technologies. Uh, and so we are going to transition this industry sooner than I think most people expected. Uh, and that's where the you ain't seen nothing yet comes in, you know, because right now we've been trying to adjust at lower volumes, kind of trying to figure out, you know, is it for real this time? How quickly do we need to adapt? And we're about to be thrown into the very deep end of the pool. Uh, so that's why I believe you ain't seen nothing yet in this regard very much. Thank you very much. Again, apology for singing, but yes, it's it's going to be an earworm, I think, for me too, all day long. Mukun Rayo, you got to get me out of this. Mukunda sent us a very iconic quote. It does sort of kind of have to do with our topic, but it's such a good quote. We're going to use it, Mukun, and it's from Doc. Dr. Emmett Brand, played by the one and only Christopher Lloyd, speaking to Marty McFly, played by a very young Michael J. Fox. The movie, of course, is Back to the Future, American sci-fi adventure comedy film. Can you believe how they describe movies today? It's sci-fi, it's an adventure, and it's comedy, all packed into one. The franchise had three movies, 1985, 1989, and 1990, and... Doc Brown is the inventor of a time machine built out of a 1981 DeLorean sports car. Interesting enough, Mukund, in 2008, Doc Brown was ranked number 20 on Empire Magazine's The 100 Greatest Movie Characters of All Time. Now, that was 2008. That's a long time ago. I wonder how he ranks now. Here's the quote. Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. Mukund, talk to me. How'd you pick this one? Uh, I'm not surprised that he's so popular. You know, it has inspired so many gearheads, auto guys, non-auto guys over the years. So it's an iconic movie. I just picked it because it just resonates. I didn't want to pick something out the ordinary. So in the movie, literally, he says, you know, we don't need roads because Marty McFly asks him, you know, we need, do we have enough roads to hit 88 miles per hour? Interestingly, they have calculated that's the speed that the car is required to be at to, you know, to time travel. Don't ask me why, but it's physics, I believe. So you can Google it. So the reason I asked is it's kind of a metaphoric metaphor for anything, which is the traditional technology. You're dreaming about the future. You know, it's like totally different, radically different. So he says roads. At that point, he says, okay, we don't need roads. So we could change the word roads to gas. Gas. Yes. Who needs Who needs gas? We don't need gas. You know, we could change it into the technologies, you know, it could be, we, we don't need drivers, it's going to be autonomous. So it's basically a metaphor for imagining what's coming in the near future, and kind of being able to dream and conceptualizing that's what's going to come. I hope 
the EV is still, you know, a level playing field for the traditional OEMs who are in the market, as well as the new incumbents. They that they kind of establish this future road or no road, so where the batteries will rule the roost, and the you know uh, gasoline is, or oil is just left as a is no longer used as a transportation fuel. So that's why I'm. It's it's more of a futuristic looking uh, metaphor. Yeah, what's coming and how to reach there. Do you know, Mukund, exactly what you knew, explained that so beautifully. Think back to the Jetsons. George Jetson could have said this. Roads, where we're going, we won't need roads. They were flying, right? They were transporting somewhere up there. Uh, thank you to Branson and Bezos for taking people up there, but not exactly in a Jetson-style family transportation mode. So I think that quote could have been said years before by whoever created, maybe George Jensen said something, Jetson said something like that, but we will never know. I'm not going to go through the transcripts of the Jetsons. Thank you, gentlemen. Really interesting quotes, and I appreciate how beautifully you explained their relationship to our topic. Let's move on now. I've already put into the chat for Marcus. We're going to move on to the part of the show where my guests have very graciously sent me four statements of their point of view, their opinion about the topic. I'm going to pick one from each of you, my choice, dealer's choice. Marcus, I picked your statement number one because it fascinates me, and here's what will happen. I'll read a little bit from this, very interesting, and then you'll take about three minutes, explain and unpack it. We'll invite you to agree or disagree with Marcus. Don't be afraid of Marcus. He can stand it if you disagree. And then we will go to Mook and agree or disagree with either or both. I just got to note that my internet connection is unstable, so we'll just do the best we can. Okay, so Marcus, you're up, and the statement number one is some of the most innovative technologies we see in our production cars today have their roots in motorsports and racing. Take over, Marcus. Go ahead. Yeah, and then just to... Uh Kind of segue into this um, made a good point that will come before is is uh, what's the next step right where where is some of this innovation uh, in a way coming from um, so if you look at motorsport and some of the very high levels of motorsport they they are do, using the technology that ends up in our commercial vehicles years down the road so it's like a testing bed for a lot of the um, especially EV innovation right now we even have right now Formula E which is a completely electric racing um, series, which is unbelievable. Who would have thought that, um, you know, 15 years ago? Um, and it's it's a car that goes the whole race on batteries. And even in that series, they've evolved every year and every few years of the distance they can go and how long they can go on the same set of batteries. Um, you know, it's it's that kind of innovation. It's it's how how to use batteries, um, how to um, also make them safer and and. Critically, the stuff around the battery. It's not just the battery itself that's important for commercial vehicles as well. It's what is the chassis? What are the materials? And most critically, also safety. Um, what are some of the safety features around those batteries that make it safe for everybody to drive? And a lot of that is driven by motorsport. Um, just as a fun fact, the rear view mirror was brought in by um, racing. So cars before that didn't have a rear view mirror. And um, an engineer said, well, it'd be a good way to see what the competition is doing behind you. And so the rear view mirror was invented um, in racing um, with materials like carbon fiber. There's a lot of work being done because if you're powering a car by a battery or another power source, it's all about weight. If you can reduce the weight, you will go further. Um, you will be able to have more, you know, your power will be greater in a sense that you feel. 
Um, so it's around carbon fiber. How are you using that? How are you using that in the chassis? Um, some other material around the battery to cool it, to keep it safe, to reduce heat. All these things are being developed at the forefront in motorsport, like your Formula E's, your Formula 1's, which have a hybrid engine, and uh, some of your Lamar racing. They are, they're having this, and this will trickle down. This always trickles down to commercial vehicles. So that's, that's kind of the really critical components is let's keep innovating, let's keep pushing, um, and then let's adapt those into the commercial vehicles um, for our everyday use. Thank you very much, Marcus at MHP. Really appreciate that. Let's get the party started here. Bernard Swicky at CAR. Agree or disagree with Marcus? Go ahead. No, I would say I absolutely agree. Uh, and, and Marcus, you mentioned Formula E. You know, I had a thought recently. Um, as everything electrifies faster than we expected, you know, how long is it before Formula E becomes obsolete because all racing is electric and we don't need a special series just for electric, right? Uh, and it's, it's amazing how quickly things like that can become uh, inclusive and, you know, what was previously the exception becomes the new norm. Uh, and yes, absolutely, you know, we've, we've in fact run special panels on this subject at our big annual conference. Uh, about the transition of technology and progress from racing to conventional vehicles. And I think it's the perfect pressure cooker uh, because, you know, you have to advance very quickly. You know, the speeds are extreme. You know, the reliability needs to be perfect because you're judging everything by split seconds in terms of a whole bunch of different parameters. And also, you know, in conventional vehicle development, you're more likely to be working, you know, in secrecy under a cloak, and you don't necessarily know, you know, how quickly is your competition progressing. Uh, in racing, odds are every weekend, you see the progress that they've made over the last week, you know, you know the mark you have to hit, and it makes you evolve that much faster. Uh, so yes, I absolutely love the pressure cooker environment that that brings. And, you know, I think it's, so there are two things. One, I think it absolutely works that way. Two, I really hope it continues to work that way because I love the fact that racing exists, that companies are willing to put so much funding into it. Uh, and I think the more that we have a practical translation of the technologies developed there to conventional vehicles, the more likely it is to continue to be prioritized. If you ain't first, you're last. There we go, right? <laughs> See how the quotes fit into the topic so beautifully? Thank you very much. You ain't seen nothing yet. Mook and Rao, talk to us. Agree or disagree, you get to talk to Marcus's point as well as Bernard's. You're up. Go ahead. Absolutely. Totally agree. So it's always a proving ground, you know, this uh, race car arena. First two things going, it's a low volume. It's very low volume. Individual attention to each car allow the manufacturers to experiment as much as possible. It's not been mass produced. Second thing is they're incentivized by the, the marketing they get out of winning a race or you know, showing new technologies at these races. So that's absolutely a natural flow. Experiment new things faster, you know, which catch the eye. And obviously new technologies, the battery makers are you know, bigger, uh, bigger, faster uh, speeds and, you know, acceleration and all that. So absolutely a natural transit from racing into traditional. I wouldn't just limit it to, into 
just racing in my i mean obviously even the uh, ev manufacturers they are always releasing the fastest vehicles first whether it be tesla or lucid they always the biggest battery the highest scope so they want to kind of be a little bit parallel to the racing car you know street legal car so the point that i wanted to make was in addition to the uh, you know racing uh, background and racing pedigree that many of the oems try to bring it into their mass marketed cars these technologies also develop outside the automotive world whether it be in space for you know being able to have a satellite run on a battery with self charging through the solar or it could be from anywhere else but absolutely racing being closer to the mass market absolutely is is a is a natural segue for technologies thank you muck and thank you bernard marcus anything you want to say back to your your co-panelists before we move on go ahead yeah one thing i think a, a really critical thing that's shown is very evident in motorsport and is is very important in in commercial vehicles is the era of ev is not about one company doing it by itself it's really a, mm-hmm. a partnership and ecosystem working together you know um this comes from from this uh, company this comes from here and and the innovation as well and and that's evident in racing there is no racing team that does everything by itself mm. it is a partnership ecosystem um and they work together again same goes for for commercial the commercial side here as well for commercial vehicles it's about that whole ecosystem and working together especially on this new innovative stuff that's how we're going to get to the next level if we do everything individually we'll we won't get there as quickly thank you very much and when you said ecosystem i was going to suggest that word marcus i'm going to add another word to that community Oh my goodness, right? It's a community of developers, of people who are trying things out, of ideation. We used to call that brainstorming. A community, an ecosystem, and, and community implies more like-mindedness and forward in the same goal. So maybe I'm stretching it, but to me, I like that word because it implies working together by choice. So let's move on. Thank you for a great conversation starter, Marcus Bulliman at MHP. Bernard Swicky at Car Group. Let's look at your statement number two. This is Something that's really critical to the topic, he says, consumer acceptance is trending positively, but not guaranteed. I'm going to stop there. Bernard, why don't you unpack this, expand it for us, and then we'll go around the table. Mook and you happen to be sitting virtually next to Mr. Swicky right now, so you'll be next, and then Marcus will take up the third. Go ahead, Bernard, you're up. All right, here we go. So, absolutely. I mentioned earlier um, you know, that for the main categories, you know, whether plug-in hybrid, conventional hybrid, pure battery electrics, all of those just this year are well over 100% better uh, in terms of sales performance than last year. So things are definitely aggressively trending towards showing us consumer acceptance of these vehicles. Um, I think it's critical also, you know, that when these vehicles first appeared on the market, uh, they were often, you know, in segments that a lot of folks would define as an econo box. Uh, you know, small fuel efficient vehicles that were taking the place essentially of a subcompact or compact hatchback or sedan. And right now, that's not where the meat of the market is. You know, more than 40% of the American market is CUVs, you know, crossover utility vehicles. And the good news is we have electrified vehicles in more and more of those vehicle segments, which is fantastic because it's driving some of the market penetration that we're seeing. And now, you know, we've got companies, for example, the uh, 
Ford F-150 Lightning electrified pickup truck. So, you know, we're getting electrified vehicles in segments where we haven't had them before. And so what we don't know at this point is for all of these segments, um, is there a plateau at some point where we sort of saturated how many consumers are, are willing to make the electric switch and how many would prefer to have a conventional vehicle instead? Uh, and that, I think, is a question that is very difficult to answer because you can ask about things sort of hypothetically. You know, you can survey consumers and say, you know, if a vehicle did this, this, and that, and it cost this much, would you consider buying it? Sure. But these automotive purchases are often very emotional decisions, uh, and they often go against someone's normal, rational tendencies. Uh, and so I often believe, you know, that until that vehicle is on the dealership lot, until the consumer kicks the tires and takes it for a spin, we won't necessarily know. Uh, and there's a huge risk factor here because, you know, we have uh, governments, as Bonnie, you mentioned in the intro, who are aiming to restrict <clears throat> or completely finish internal combustion engine vehicle sales. We have car companies who are announcing uh, target dates for when they're going to go 100% electric. And, oh my goodness, it's a huge leap to be making, you know, without necessarily a guarantee. It's one of those things where in some cases, you don't know until you get there. Thank you very much. Good insights. Let's go around the table. Mr. Mukun Rao, talk to us. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's uh, agree. Uh, it's the consumers have to be convinced. They have always been used to the uh, internal combustion engines over the years. You know, it was the same about a century back when horse carriages ruled the roost. You know, people said, what's coming? You know, we don't want any you know, mechanical stuff. Like Henry Ford said, if I listened to people, they would just be asking for better horses. It just happened. The time was right. That was the first inflection point where horses became IC engines. And it happened quick within 10 to 15 years. I feel it's the second inflection point happening with the government mandates, the government incentives, consumers also looking consciously at the climate change. They can see it, what's happening. They want to kind of be not responsible for that for the future generations. So also technology on this front has rapidly gotten better as we speak in a short period of time. So all these are making the consumer tend towards EV, but as Bernard said, there are still emotional things and some of the things which have to be, how should I say, the, that, that particular obstacle or hurdle has to be passed before it becomes routine and EV is not a novelty. One of them, you know, the main challenges being the range of the vehicles, the charging stations, there is this safety issue because the flammable materials are being used, all those kind of things and how to quickly mm. recharge. You know, today you go to a gas station, you can fill up in a couple of minutes or five minutes and yeah. be back on the road. So at some point, the batteries themselves will get even better. So once all these, you know, uh, some of the hurdles in people's minds are taken care of slowly and steadily within and then really rapidly the adoption will really uh, take off. So at that point, we will see the real revolutions, EV replacing ICs. Till then, the consumers still have to be convinced. Thank you. Very interesting. Marcus, join us. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the, both you have made really good points there. Something to add on that on those topics is, um, you know, 
humans are creatures of, of, of habit, so to say. Um, this goes for purchasing. It's also emotional. Um, plays plays a huge role um, in that. And at the end of the day, though, you're you you got to look at it as a problem, right? So what what why is someone going in a vehicle? Well, I need to get from here to here. Um, some people might buy it to say I need to drive 200 miles a day. My problem is I need to get from A to B, which is 200 miles, and I need to do it in the keeping my costs down. Um, so you're looking at different segments. What problems do different drivers have? Um, in their minds. And when you solve that problem um, for them, then they buy, right? I mean, that's in anything, in, in almost anything in life. So it's, it's looking, and that's the hurdle, I think. Um, what problems do drivers have? So to Mukhan's point is obviously filling up quickly and moving on. However that be, is that charging? Is that filling up with gas? If that can be, is that's a problem that needs to be overcome so they get from A to B in half an hour? Then Increasing charge, uh, decreasing charging time is is would be one of them. Um, the other thing is again, creature creatures of habit. If I can go into a dealership and buy a car that fits my size, maybe I have a family um, and things like that, and it comes with, if it's an EV vehicle or something else, if it has an EV, if it's an EV vehicle and fits with my stuff, I'll buy it. To get to that point is the key, and and I think overcoming and actually positioning EVs as a Solving a problem for the consumer is is really really the key because you're always going to have a group that wants to be more you know let's be more environmentally friendly. I want to specifically go and just buy an EV vehicle. Those people are going to buy EV vehicles. Um, it's the ones that are going to a dealer and saying, "Hey, I need to buy a vehicle that does this for me." Um, a good a good uh, example is the F-150, right? That's a truck that does a specific thing right? For many people. So if it's EV and it does it for them, great. Um, it's about solving that problem for them. So if you look at it that way, you kind of turn it around instead of just push, positioning the technology, but positioning at this car will solve your problem better. And when we get to that point, then people will be buying it, will be buying EV vehicles and it'll be the new standard. It will be the common thing. Interesting. We, we have seen cars Trucks go through phases of popularity, right? The great big ones, the monsters, I can't remember what they were called. And then they were, oh, my God, you're gas guzzling. How could you do that? It will be interesting to see the, and style. We didn't talk about style. You talked about solving a problem. But what about, I like a car that's fun to drive. Bernard, this was your topic. Great topic. Why don't you take this up? Uh, anything you want to say back to the others? Go ahead, Bernard. No, I mean, those were um, really great points. Uh, and the only addition that I would make is the more electrified vehicles become and the more automated they become, you know, with uh, some of these semi-autonomous driving technologies, I think the more we dip our toe into the pool of consumer electronics and where some of the preferences and tendencies that consumers mm -hmm. have when buying electronic products start infiltrating into the vehicle sales environment. Um, and I think that, you know, in this industry, that's a, that's a pretty major unknown. Um, and I think that's one reason, uh, and Marcus, you mentioned this earlier in terms of partnering and communities. Uh, I think that's one reason why I'm really glad to see automotive companies really getting much more involved with the electronics and the software companies, those that have uh, experience in dealing with consumer behavior in those areas. Thank you very much. Great points. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bernard. Let's move to Muk and Rao. I have picked your statement number three. I think this is interesting. You say sustainability, 
Ah, there's that word. And battery life cycle management will come to the fore. As the volume of batteries in automobiles increases the challenges of sourcing raw materials, as well as appropriate end of life cycle processes. And you add, these will have to be mandated by a global body. That is a packed statement, Mukun. Why don't you unpack it for us and we'll go around the table. Go ahead. Absolutely. So so the way I think about this, this is a relatively a new playing field, the EV. And one of the uh, key points here is climate, to take care of the climate change, to reduce the emissions, and we move to new technology. Now, if the new technology is not mandated properly, the way it is sourced and the way it is used and the way it is disposed, we will not achieve what we started out as the goal. What I mean by this is currently what I read somewhere was EV battery itself makes up about, just the battery itself makes about the 30% carbon footprint for the entire vehicle. So that's a pretty big amount. So the point is right now, it's just a nascent industry where there are not too many batteries in place. So the people are still figuring out, actually I read a tweet today by the Tesla CEO saying, that we still don't have an efficient supply chain for batteries. So the story is we don't know where it is sourced from, how ethically it is sourced, how the, you know, whether the minerals are being depleted in that particular region of the world, how it is built, how it is being used. So all those things, a battery is nothing but a part, right? It is, it'll go through the same engineering, manufacturing, procurement processes that are related to a traditional part. The only big part of it is the EV battery are class 9DG, which is required special handling and recycling processes. They are classified as hazardous materials. So that has to be used appropriately, built and sourced and manufactured appropriately. And of course, in the end of life cycle has to be disposed in a very efficient and you know appropriate manner where it doesn't uh, harm the environment. So that's the big point. So there are, so what I mean by a global body is nowadays everyone is trying to do it on their own. There are no global standards. So at some point when they realize it's a, it's a future thing, a future uh, technology where everyone is using it, a global mandate or some global body will come into play where they can issue some state, some uh, directive saying, this is how it has to be procured. This is how it has to be used and you have to track it. So actually even SAP is part of a global battery alliance, which will enable the transparency with the battery passport, you know, that will track the entire value chain, you know, whether the sourcing, the recyclability score. So everyone is aware of that this thing is being dealt with properly. So that's what I mean by sustainability. We start with sustainability, we should be able to adhere to the principles of sustainability and not lose it once this technology becomes all prevalent. And that's the main point. And I believe it will, it will be somehow mandated so that we don't fall into the, uh, you know, through the cracks on that. Thank you, Mukin. Very, very interesting. Let's go around the table. Marcus Boleman and MHP, talk to us. What do you think? Yes, very, very interesting point um, here, especially as we talk about circular economy as well, um, to, to, your, to your point there. Um, you know, it, we can look at even our internal combustion engines and that we have right now and when that started, right? You look at, you know, basically petroleum, 
and you know that was the source is the source for for those type of engines. So what do we do there? What how do we approach that? It, it's not a, it's not a direct correlation, but it shows that at the end of the day, energy is energy. It's coming from different sources, but they're not all free, in the sense of something has to be done um, to reuse them, to recycle them, um, especially stuff like like you mentioned with batteries. I think a critical thing there is almost two points. How can we reuse them before we need to break them down and completely recycle them? Um, because if you look at lithium ion, you got lithium, nickel, and cobalt. And, you know, a lot of these components, like you mentioned uh, just now, they're coming from, they're not coming from everywhere in the world. So um, the majority of batteries manufactured today for EV for EVs are coming out of China. So, and, and I'm not talking about 20%. It's a very high percentage. So that means that we are dependent on one area. The world is dependent on one area um, for that. Um, same can be said about petrol to a certain degree, right? Um, it's dependent on certain areas. So how, how, do, we, how do we in the US, for example, um, start introducing manufacturing here? Because batteries are gonna be used for EVs and for other components, for other type of vehicles as well. How do we do that in Europe? How do we manufacture in Europe and in these different areas? I think that's something as we look at the circular economy as well, because that, that supply chains become a big, you get this from here, you get this from here. Um, to your point, how do we track this? Um, so we, we constantly try to improve as well, because uh, you know right now we're working with lithium ion batteries, but in the future we'll be working with solid state and, and things like that. So how do we track all of this? And then really critically retract the reuse and recycle. Um, you know, once a battery um, in an EV vehicle drops 20%, it, it can be, re it doesn't use, it's not used in the EV anymore, but it can be used at your house for, for energy, um, you know, there or, or forklifts or other things like that. How can we be creative as, as, a, as our companies? Again, a community, as a community being creative on new ways of using a battery. And then at the end of the day, breaking it down completely and reusing um, the individual components that make up the battery. And absolutely key is, I think, uh, and this is my last point here is, let's not just hide it and put it somewhere else, you know, for, out of sight, out of mind, where we say in the US or Europe or, or anywhere say, well, it's not here. It's not, it's not our problem. We've shipped it somewhere else. No, we need to take the lead in this um, and make sure that we are having a sustainable plan in place. And to your point, it could be something like a global community um, or something like that that controls that better because we tend to do that sometimes as, as a country in the U.S., as countries in Europe, is out of sight, out of mind with garbage, um, with all yes. kinds of different things. Thank you. All good points. Bernard Swicky, join us. Thoughts? Lot to talk about. What do you think? Yeah, definitely a lot to talk about. And all uh, great points. Um, I think I wanted to... Uh, come at this from two directions. Uh, you know, one, the idea of some sort of global body that would, um, you know, set some set a frame, framework um, for this kind of sustainability initiative. You know, we have um, attempts at things like that, you know, on a smaller scale, typically related to safety, emissions, fuel economy. Um, and it's been kind of on a piece by piece basis, right? We, these standards are right now regional. Uh, and there's this idea of recognizing another region standards within your own and trying to make things translate. Uh, and it becomes really difficult because it's often also convoluted in trade deals uh, because, you know, we call them NTBs, non-tariff barriers, but 
Um, you know, you can, for example, um, prioritize your cheese industry. If the country that's threatening it is automotive intensive and you have, you know, really prohibitive safety requirements for cars, right? So this crosses industries and it crosses into really complex geopolitical trade negotiations and other things. So it'll be difficult to do, uh, although I think it's absolutely very, very important. And I think it might happen on a region to region basis before it becomes truly global. Uh, and then one final thought is this, uh, and, and I wonder if, or maybe hope, uh, that this could be a bit of a watershed moment in sustainability and its role in transportation, because, you know, for so many years, um, you know, we've had companies try, uh, and, you know, they put out corporate responsibility statements annually, and they have all these positive initiatives, but at the end of the day, the company exists to provide a return to shareholders. Uh, and so if doing something sustainably is more expensive than not, you really have to justify, you know, how am I serving my shareholders by doing it that way? And what we're seeing now is the opposite is happening. You know, Wall Street analysts, uh, a lot of the investors are prioritizing sustainability in their valuation of a company and in choosing which companies to invest in. You know, and suddenly it's not just for good public relations or for, you know, a positive tweet that you send out. Suddenly this is how you serve your shareholder. You know, and we're seeing it, for example, at CAR when we help states with site selection uh, procedures, you know, that the company putting in the investment knows that sustainability is going to be critical because, again, Wall Street uh, investors are looking at it that way. And so they don't just try to have their operation sustainable. They try to source sustainably. So if you want to be a supplier to that enterprise, you know, where's your electricity coming from? You know, how far away will you be shipping your product and what will be the carbon footprint of just the logistics of getting what you're supplying to that operation? You know, suddenly this is becoming baked in to the business decisions that are going to be producing these products. And I truly believe or hope, because there's no way of being sure, uh, that it is in fact a bit of a watershed moment in how we approach the subject of sustainability in transportation. Thank you very much, and Wow, what a conversation started that was. You want to talk back to both of them? And then I have yeah. a quick comment I want from Marcus. Go ahead, Mukund. Absolutely. All absolutely fantastic points. I mean, this it's a debate which we could have for long. There are so many aspects of the sustainability, you know, like uh, Marcus mentioned, the circular economy, and Bernard mentioned all the... Uh, just a quick add to what Bernard mentioned about the difficulty of having a body which mandates all these things, you know, across the life cycle of a battery. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely right. It's currently in small pockets, regional. At some mm -hmm. point, you know, we are hoping if this has to be a sustainable endeavor, it has to be some body, some, some global body, which has made up of all the people like we are trying with the Global Battery mm -hmm. Alliance, which is made of technology companies and also air people from different, uh, you know, aspects of the business. It's in Europe currently, this one. But at some point, a global body, which can actually set their foot down and kind of make some decisions that this is the way it, it ought to go. So if that comes into play, then we are in a very good way. But this is a bigger debate, a longer debate, I'm assuming, but hopefully turns out in the right way. 
Message to Judy, part two, soon. Uh, qu- quickly, Marcus, you had a note in here in your statement number two, just one line. I'd just like you to have a second. Everybody get ready for a 30-second prediction, crystal ball. But Marcus says, battery technology is constantly evolving. We've, we know that. Ever since the voltaic pile, V-O-L-T-A-I-C, was invented by Volta in 1800. Marcus, quickly, a comment on that. Seriously, 1800. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's it, the comment for that was um, batteries are constantly evolving, um, and and they've been around for a long time. Um, actually, uh, Porsche had a full EV vehicle, Ferdinand Porsche, the founder, and traveled around Europe with it. Um, but what held them back was uh, again safety and weight. So the statement is really showing that it's the the ideas have been around, but we are constantly innovating every day to make those better and how to produce those in a sustainable way. Um, something we haven't really touched upon here, which leads into this is manufacturing. A lot of these startups are coming up and they need to get a facility going very quickly um, and start producing things as part of the community. Maybe it's one part of, of something bigger. So, you know, getting sustainable manufacturing up and running um, with track and trace, these type of things, um, within the manufacturing facility, you're talking industry 4.0, IoT at this at this point. Then, getting this up and running quickly is is pushing will push innovation and keep it going out to um, the rest of us with commercial vehicles. Marcus, that was your crystal ball prediction. Well done, Bernard. You get 30 seconds. Give me yours quickly. What do you see? Um, I would say this, and and it ties very much into what Marcus said in terms of uh, the speed with which we need to develop this, uh, and that is. Scale will drive everything. Uh, Automotive has always been uh, an industry dependent on economies of scale. The products we make would each cost millions of dollars if we couldn't make many of them. And that's been part of the challenge with electrified vehicles. And now that we're there, we're on the threshold of the high volumes making these big scale investments possible. It's not just going to be the vehicle and the battery production. It's that entire component set that electrified vehicles have. The more we can produce more of them, the cheaper they will get, the cheaper the product becomes, the more it becomes accepted by the consumer, and you get this incredible virtuous cycle. And it doesn't happen without scale, and I think we are on the threshold of getting that whole thing moving. Thank you. Mukan, you get one sentence. We're out of time. Go ahead. All right. So I'll go a little bit from the left field. By 2030, not only cars will be using batteries, but they'll be aerial transport units, whether flying cars or jets using our batteries. And really from the left field, Detroit Lions will win the Super Bowl within the next five years. (laughs) (laughs) And they won't have to change the name of their team, right? I'll leave that one on the table. Thank you to the three of you. It has been a just pure pleasure and privilege learning from the three of you. I'm so impressed with the the brain battery power here. Uh, I really appreciate all the work you did behind the scenes to prepare for the show, your conversation conversation starters were great. Love the quotes. And I am, I'm indebted to all of you for showing up and being so smart today. This was really a great conversation. Let's hear it for Judy Kubis and Thomas Pohl, who are Judy's the sponsor of the series. And Thomas worked on it while Judy was away doing her, her vacation uh, hiking and, and all the other things she did that had fun. We want to do a shout out to Aaron Keller at Voice America, the business channel team, for getting us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? 
My car is still getting two months to the gallon. How's yours doing? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Marcus Boleman at MHP, a Porsche company. Just like Bernard Swicky at Car, C-A-R Group. And just like Mook and Rao at SAP. Bonnie saying, no longer in the house. We're going to go get a battery someday. Everybody wave goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.